I'm going to look this morning at um, a time when Jesus is kicking some ideas around and he asked this question, what does the scriptures say? So we're going to look at, at that. Um, and if you, if you read the Gospels, um, you know, Jesus clearly knew the Bible. Right? He knows and he quotes scripture often, like 36, 37 times, I think, like he specifically quotes scripture. And there's this crazy story where he gets, you know, when he's a boy and they go up to Jerusalem and he gets lost for three days, which as a parent kind of is your, you know, if you lose your child for three minutes, it's like oh, three days he's lost. Well, they eventually find him in the temple and it says, the Bible says that he's with the, the teachers of the law, the teachers of the Bible, and he's listening and he's asking questions. So even as a young boy, there's like this, this hunger for, and he was applying himself to the Bible. Um, you often see him engaging and kind of being quizzed by people about the Bible and kind of like t- tussling over these things. Um, and then, you know, when he's tempted in the desert, it's, it's absolutely this to and fro with the enemy kind of slightly giving a twisted and a distorted, what well, doesn't God say this? And Jesus, every time he's able to kick back, no, this is what the Lord says. Um, so Jesus clearly had a real commitment and a real grasp of scripture. Andrew Wilson, who's written a brilliant book called Unbreakable, what the son of God said about the word of God. It's a really good book. Um, but he says this, I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust in Jesus. I love him and I've decided to follow him. So if he talks and acts as if the Bible is trustworthy, authoritative, good, helpful and powerful, then I will too. Which I'm like, yeah, that sounds like a good place to start. Jesus thinks the scripture is good, powerful, authoritative, then, then I'm going to do that as well. So Jesus had a high value for the word of God, a really clearly strong grounding in, like he was able to kind of engage over scripture and a constant reliance on the word of God. So my humble suggestion is if it was good for Jesus, it's probably good for you and I. If he needed that, then we do too. So let's look and um, let's dive into it. It's Luke chapter 10. Um, uh, where, he, where he comes out with this phrase. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but we'll jump in and out of it a little bit. So verse 25 says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Here's the first thing to say. This guy was not coming hungry and humble and wanting to meet Jesus and be changed. He was coming to kind of show his expertise, puff himself up, you know, have some sort of theological to and fro and hopefully come out better. Like, that's not the way to come with questions. (laughs) Actually, we need to come asking. Um, But that's not what he was doing. So he was this so-called expert in the law. And by the law, we mean the Jewish scriptures. So that was the Bible, the word of God they had at the time. They didn't have the New Testament at that point. So he says, "Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied? Or what does the scripture say in other translations? How do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Really well-known story. I'm not going to, for time, I won't read it now. But, it, you know, there's a guy who goes on a journey, and he is attacked by robbers. He's beaten up, left for dead, everything's stolen, and he's left by the side of the road. Two occasions, two of the religious elite, religious leaders of the day, come past. One comes past, sees him, walks on by. Another comes by, sees him, walks on by. And then a Samaritan, who were kind of sort of second-class citizens, you know, really sort of looked down on and slightly despised by the Jews, he came along, and he stopped, kind of cleaned the guy up, picked him up, carried him to a local inn, paid for whatever he needed to make sure he was all right. And then Jesus goes on in verse 36 to say, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robbers? And there is obviously only one answer. And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, well, go and do likewise. So it's a brilliant interaction. So we see a guy coming with a question, not with an open, humble heart, 
coming, but coming with a question. And Jesus responds, somewhat like a politician. He doesn't answer the question. He asks another one. In fact, he asks two questions, which is what I want to look at. Um, but in all of it, he's pointing this guy to the scriptures. He's pointing them to the word of God. So it says in verse 26, what is written in the law and how do you read it? Now, when he says, how do you read it? I don't think, I could be wrong, but I don't think he means... Do you read it on your phone? Do you read it on an iPad? Do you have a paper version? Which translation? Like, I don't think he means that. The Phillips translation actually is really helpful of this verse. It says, what does the law say and what has your reading taught you? And that, listen, the first question without the second is we're going to kind of, we're going to pull short. What does it say? But more importantly, what has that taught you? What does that mean? So there's two parts to it. Yes, what does it say? But how has that landed? And how is that being outworked? Like what, do, what practical, discernible, you know, tangible difference does that make in your life and the way that you live? Because if it doesn't, then you're reading it wrong. Then and in both of those statements, there's a presumption from Jesus that you know, we would be familiar. You know, so actually we would read it. We would be aware of some of the things that it says. And listen, in this, I don't think Jesus is looking for us to have all the right answers. Like I'm... The older I get, the more comfortable I am of saying, I don't know. Like, I, don't, I don't know. What, like, what, what, does, what does the word of God say about this? I don't know completely. I don't fully understand that. I think that's okay. Jesus isn't, you know, it's not, look, he wasn't in this situation saying, what does it say? You know, ready with a, if you get it wrong. No, like, that's, that's not it. Jesus always asks questions. We've talked about this. Not with a wagging finger, not with a threatening hand, but with an open hand saying, well, okay, come walk with me. And if the answer is, I don't know, then that's fine. Let me walk with you and show with you, right? But there is a presumption that we would be at some level in the word of God. I think that's fair to say, right? And then he gives this amazing parable, which is essentially saying, listen, this is how this has to work out. He said, you know, you've answered correctly. Do it and live. Actually, and by the way, that's what this looks like. You want to know how to get internal life? You want to know what loving God and loving people looks like? It looks like this right? It makes a difference. And so where the guy was coming to kind of test Jesus, kind of justify himself, he actually says that. He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to kind of play things off against Jesus, play games over, kind of, he just wanted to win an argument. He wanted to win a debate. And listen, that is entirely fruitless, right? Jesus wanted to talk about real life. He wanted to say, this is what loving your neighbor looks like. You know, being able to give me the right answer, you know, chapter and verse is irrelevant if it doesn't make a difference in what you're doing. What does the law say? What has your reading taught you? That's what Jesus is interested in. So, first part of that, what does it say? Listen, it is helpful that we are on a journey of being aware of what the Bible does say. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to understand all of it. But we do need to be committed to, actually, I do want to know what the word says. Um, And the only way we're going to find that out is by reading it. There are not any shortcuts. Consistently, faithfully, over years, right? Just being committed to the word. And understanding, listen, your Bible, you know, that amazing book is the living word of God. It is the most prophetic word, the most powerful word of God that you're ever going to want and are ever going to need. Like it is. It is the prophetic word of God. And, and there's a danger, maybe particularly in a, you know, in a charismatic environment where we absolutely believe that we can meet God in worship. And rightly so, because we can and we're changed by it. You know, where we absolutely believe that, you know, all of us can hear the voice of God and I can speak prophetically, you know, like Emma was sharing. Actually, I get to speak the word of God. And, you know, I've had some ridiculous prophetic words, which are so accurate and like, and I believe in all that and we should value that. Absolutely. Right. And we really believe in, in testimony and hearing stories of what God's doing in us through. And I'm not saying we stop doing any of that, but actually 
All of those things are massively valuable, but they cannot take the place of my commitment and my relationship with the Bible. I want to hear the word of God. I want to meet God in worship. I want to hear what he's saying through you. I want to hear what he's saying through your life and your story, but I need to know what he's saying through the word of God. So we need to commit to that. It's really important. You know, I saw a brilliant thing on the internet the other day with someone saying, I haven't heard from God in ages. He's just gone quiet on me. And someone's response was, when did you last read your Bible? Right? He's always speaking. It's the most prophetic word, but we sometimes overlook it and we devalue it. So we need to be committed to, well, what does it say? Let's jump in and find out. Psalm 119 is this hugely long psalm where David is just talking all the time about the word of God and how much he loves the word of God and how committed he is to it and how changed it is and what the word does. And it's just amazing, but it's really, really long. We're not going to read all of it. Um, but let me read a couple of verses. It says this, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is just like a snapshot um, that gives a little bit of insight into David's relationship with the Bible. Um, you know, he clearly did not have a tokenistic, religious, duty-bound kind of nod to, I ought to read the Bible sometimes. And listen, like he had this deep value and love for and commitment to the word. And remember, at that point, like, he didn't have the Psalms because he was writing them. Like he didn't have, he didn't have Romans, right? I could get it if we had Romans. That's, but actually, but he has a deep love and value for the Word of God and a wholehearted commitment to seek it, to really go after it. Actually, I'm seeking you with all of my heart, he says. And what that looks like is that I'm not going to stray from your commandments. So I need to know what are you saying? What do you ask of me? What do you require from me? This wholehearted seeking that's really connected to the word. Because we can sing those songs in worship, you know, but actually, what does that look like in an, actually, oh God, I want to know what you're saying. Like, I want to know where you're leading. I want to know what your standard is. I want to know what you have to say. And this process, of, and all of this looks like this brilliant phrase where he lands it, says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So he's saying, right, how can I walk in the path of purity? I need to hide your word deep in my heart. And listen, that job is for you and is for me. I need to hide the word of God in my heart so that I'm not going to sin, so that I'm not going to stumble, so that I'm not going to go. I need to do that, right? Now, listen, that looks like absolutely me committed to reading the word of God. Absolutely, there's a part to play in terms of you know, hearing people teach and explain, and like, that's all part of the journey. But you can't defer all of that to somebody else, Right? Even, you know, I can hear the most amazing preach. I'm like, that is, you know, that is an incredible seed. That is such profound truth. That is totally what God's saying right now. It's an amazing seed. But in terms of the soil of my heart, that is down to me. Actually, what does that look like? Actually, for me then looking after that and making sure that that grows roots and bears fruit, that's on me and that's on you. Right? There's this amazing promise in, um, in, in John 14 where one of the things one of the multitude of wonderful things that the Holy Spirit does is Jesus says that he will call to mind, he'll remind us, call to remembrance, all the things that Jesus has taught us. So it says in John 14, it says, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. So Jesus said, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, all the stuff that I've taught you, actually he's going to remind you of that. But here's the dynamic. Actually, I have absolute trust and confidence that the Holy Spirit will bring those things to remembrance. But that requires me to have gone through that process of hiding his word. So it is in there 
so that he can call it to remembrance, right? So maybe it looks like this. So our son Luke's just finished his GCSEs and, and he, did a pretty, he worked pretty hard. He, um, you know, he did a good job at revising and, you know, from a good few weeks out, he had a, we had a, I loved it. We had a revision timetable and he had the revision cards and the, you know, mind maps. And, you know, he, he, did, he navigated himself through really well. Like, he, we were super proud of him. And, you know, all the time knowing, hey, bud, we love you no matter what. You know, God's got good plans no matter what. But absolutely, you know, this is, this is an opportunity to dig in, work hard. And he did, right? So when he's going into his exams, I knew which one he had each day. I was praying for him. First and foremost, God, know, you know, let him know that he's loved and you have good plans for him regardless. And that actually, in the moment, GCSEs can feel like the biggest deal in the world, but actually they're really not. And just kind of just settle that in him, Jesus. But, and then I would consistently pray, God, help him to have a, you know, just peaceful heart and a clear mind and remember the things that he's learned. Right? And I felt like with all integrity, like, no, he has, he has been revising. He has been kind of hiding some history syllabus in his head. So I could then feel really comfortable to pray, Jesus, just bring that to remembrance for him. Because I know he's put in the work. Right? If he'd have sat on his backside for two years, done not a scrap of revision, I'm, I'm not going to pray and I'm not going to expect God to answer a prayer that is like, Jesus, just supernaturally download the history syllabus into his head. Right? But honestly, we can sometimes have that kind of approach to the Bible, just hoping that actually when, when there's a test in front of us, when I'm being asked a question, somehow I just would know, and I haven't committed to that process of, I am going to hide his word in my heart, so when the test comes, actually I have got the answer. And listen, it's this partnership with Holy Spirit, but I wonder if sometimes we, me, we, we want to shortcut that step, Actually, and we're not good enough at hiding his word in our heart with deep love and value. And so that actually then sometimes when things pop up, it's like, wow, I'm thrown by this because I actually don't really know what God says. I can hear an awful lot of other voices and a whole lot of other opinions, but what is God saying? Part of that journey is committing to treasuring, reading, process of hiding that things in our heart. And listen, this is everything to do with the question that we ask ourselves around here. If you've been with us at Barnard for any length of time, we ask ourselves a lot. Who are we becoming? Who are we as a church family? Who am I, Sarah Smith? Who am I becoming? Um, and a commitment to the Word of God and journeying with the Bible is absolutely vital in that process of who we are becoming. Right? If we are going to grow up and become mature, which, by the way, is the goal, that's what we're after. If we're going to live, you know, live in the life of the Spirit like we looked at last week, we have got to have a solid foundation and an ongoing commitment to the Bible. Like There just aren't any shortcuts. That maturity is the goal. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about that where he says, you know, Jesus is going to give all these gifts to the church. And the goal is, you know, Paul consistently says, the, the reason the gifts are given, and he says in other places, the reason I'm doing anything that I'm doing is that actually you lot will become mature. This beautiful phrase that we would become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, right? That's the goal. That's what we're here for. That's what we want to do. We want to see every one of you and us together actually attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And that's a lot of fullness, and we're not there yet. But listen, we're, further, we're more full than we were, but we're not as full as we need to be. So that's the goal, right? Maturity. In order that, verse 14 of Ephesians 4 says, then when we come mature and we're full of the filled with the fullness of Jesus, actually, then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Listen, 
Waves are going to come. Wind are going to come. There's all sorts of teaching. There's all sorts of voices. There's all sorts of opinion. What keeps us grounded and not tossed back and forth by the waves and blown off course is that we are anchored to the word of God. Right? It is a vital part of our maturity journey and we have to commit to it. It has to be our grounding. Otherwise, we are absolutely vulnerable to being blown off course. Right? It's, it's what we looked at last week. You know, we looked at actually the, the whole of our humanity is loved and created by God and is valuable. Right? We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength. Right? Our soul is my mind, my will, my emotions. Like God made those bits of me and he loves those bits of me. But everything, you know, we're, to call, we're to live life led by the Spirit first and foremost. So all of that, my humanity is valuable, I need to pay attention to it, but all of that needs to be submitted to and, and held against actually the word of God, because my emotions are noisy sometimes, and they something, say something super different to the word of God sometimes, right? Culture is noisy and says different things sometimes to the word of God, so we need to know what has God said. We have to have solid roots in the Bible. So it's, it's for our stability, Right? In this maturity journey, if we want to be stable, not kind of blown here and there and everywhere, we need to have good roots in the Bible. But it's also about our equipping, not just that I just about managed to hold my ground and I'm not blown off course, but actually I am able to do, I am tooled and equipped with everything that I need to fulfill the assignment that's on my life. And the Bible is slap bang in the middle of that. Let me read this, 2 Timothy 3, this is the Passion Translation. Verses 16 and 17, it says, Every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. Then you will be God's servant, listen to this, fully mature and perfectly prepared to fulfill any assignment that God gives you. But the way that we do that is the Bible. Actually, the Bible is what empowers and equips us for the assignment that's in front of us, right? So it's, it's, it's for our stability, but it's actually for our preparation into the maturity journey of showing up where we're supposed to show up, right? Who are we becoming? We have got to have scripture in order to become mature and prepared. So one, you know, one of the things we have, our, you know, if you want to simply, what are, our, what are our values as a church? We have our three E's, right? We believe we want to encounter God above anything, because that's where we're changed. We want to empower people that we would grow up to know that we are deeply loved sons and daughters with this significant call and an amazing inheritance. I want you to be empowered into that. But the third is, is that we would engage with our city. That basically means wherever God has placed you, in whatever city, whether it's Manchester or somewhere else, actually, that you engage, that you show up, actually, and that you have an assignment in that place. So if we are going to and if we're going to engage, if we have an assignment to make a difference, to be influential, even if that's to one person or whether it's to thousands, whether that's, you know, whether my call is to, you know, is to my three-year-old or to the Prime Minister of the UK, neither of those things are better or worse. Both of those things are deeply valuable, but I need to be equipped for that assignment. And the way that I'm equipped is with a commitment to the Word of God. And we can't try, it's really, you know, we mustn't try and shortcut that. Right? So we need to have a solid grounding for our stability and for our equipping. But it's also for our protection, right? The enemy's number one plan since the Garden of Eden has been to question, did God say? Like he, he's sneaky, but he's not smart. He comes back to the same thing every time. Did God say that? Did God really say not to eat from that tree? It's always been the question, right? And that was his question in Jesus' temptation. So Jesus is in the desert for 40 days, and the enemy comes and tempts him over a number of things. And... Um, and every time, 
Jesus knew what to say, he came back to you, but this is what God says, and he stood on it in that face of temptation. Now, sometimes you can, you can read the story of Jesus' temptation and think, well, I've never been fasting for 40 days. I've never done that. Hats off if you have. Right? I've never been in the desert. I've never been tempted to turn stones into bread. Like, that has not been my specific experience of how the enemy tempts me. But actually, the realm of temptation, for sure, I've been tempted in. And that question, because he, the enemy was questioning what God says about God who provides for our physical needs, right? You're hungry, you're not probably going to make it, so you should do something about it. Actually, he's, the question was, is God going to provide, right? In whatever realm, is God going to provide for the finances I need because this month looks ropey? Is God going to provide me with a husband? Is God going to provide me with a church family? Is he going to provide me with a job? Like, questioning those things, absolutely, We've, we face that, right? Actually, this, this questioning of what God really said, which always comes back to who God really is, right? God says it because he is. He says he's going to provide because he is provider. He says he will protect us because he's our shield, right? So actually, really what the enemy is going after when he says, did God really say, is he's questioning, well, who is God? And that's, you know, that's what we're kind of really going after as a church family. Actually, who do we say Jesus is? And if he is who he says he is, then my goodness, stuff's going to change, Right? This is what we see. The second temptation he comes to is, hey, jump up on that temple, throw yourself off, because the Bible says, and he quotes literally word for word from Psalm 91, that God is going to, you know, he'll protect you, he'll send his angels, you're not even going to hurt your toes. You won't even stub your toe. It doesn't literally say that, but that's the inference, right? Again, I've never been tempted to throw myself off a building and see if God will catch me. But actually, that question, is God with me? Is he protecting me? Has he got me? I've, I've faced that. That's the question here. Actually, my protection and my security, that's what the enemy was going after. And the third one, you know, he, he really goes all out. He says, right, you know, Satan says, worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. What he's tempting him with is significance and influence. And on a smaller scale, haven't all of us probably faced that sometimes? Which really comes down to that question of, well, do I matter? And every time Jesus comes back with what God says, every time, Andrew Wilson writing about this story says this, it's a great story, this of Jesus' temptation. There is a huge amount we can learn from it. But for now, just consider the way Jesus fights. He has the resources of heaven available, and yet he fights by using the authority of Scripture. Not as a one-off or as a change of tactics, but each and every time. It is written. It is written. He repeatedly emphasizes. His position is unequivocal. You're trying to tempt me, but the scriptures have spoken. So that's the end of the conversation. Simple, right? And listen, Jesus would have been, Jesus fully embraced our humanity. So they were just as real temptations. I think sometimes we think, you know, Jesus wasn't as hungry as I would have been. Like he was. It was just as real a temptation. But So it was just as important for Jesus to know and believe and stand on the word of God. And so what we're seeing in this this interaction of Jesus' temptation is Jesus had absolutely committed to that process of hiding God's word in his heart in order that when he needed it, when there was a test, he absolutely had the answer. He was absolutely able to stand firm. And so honestly, that's my question to us, I think, this morning is um, actually have I hidden his word well enough, deep enough that actually I can stand on it to resist temptation, whatever that looks like. Actually, have I hidden his word deep enough in my heart to be able to manage discouragement or disappointment or when I fail? Actually, is his word deep enough that I can still walk through those things well? 
And in that process, actually, what has that told me about God's character and heart towards me? Because that's what the enemy was going after. On the surface, it was what God said, but underneath it all was, is God who he says he is? That, like, that's the thing that gets challenged. So actually, our journey with scripture is to shore up and strengthen actually who God is and his heart towards me and his heart towards the planet. Right? What does his word tell me about my future? What does his word tell me and how has that changed me and how I treat people who offend me, who irritate me, who let me down, who think differently to me? What has that taught me about my relationship with money? Like, How does that frame my response to poverty or injustice? Right? What is that doing in my life? And that's the, that's the second part of where Jesus kind of lands this, is actually how is, what has this taught you? Reading it and knowing it and being able to answer a question is 100% not the goal, right? We need to be obedient to it and be changed by it. We need to live it. That's the whole point of Jesus' interaction with this so-called expert of the law when he talks about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Is it's, it's one thing, and it's, it's a part of the process to be able to say, this is what God says. But if it hasn't changed you, and if you're not doing anything with it, then it is flat out of no use to anyone. And that's why Jesus says, you've answered correctly. Great. But do this and you'll live. Because he knew that was in, in, in that context that actually so many of the religious elite at that time, they knew all the answers, but it was had absolutely dislocated from what that looked like in how they lived. And Jesus constantly came to say, that, that's not good enough. He came to fulfill the law that was, this is what God says, and hey, this is what it looks like. And I'll spend time with prostitutes and children and dishonest and steal, people who steal, because this is what the law looks like. Right? That, this is the deal. So answering correctly and not living it, is no, there's no point. And this is what James goes after. The most, he's, I think James is from Yorkshire. He's like the most straight speaking, does what it says on the tin. Um, James 1, 22, 25. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, I don't think you need to go back to the original Greek. I think do what it says means do what it says. Like it's, I think it's quite straightforward. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But this is the call and this is the invitation. This is the kind of people you and I need to be. Those who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. Right? I want to be blessed in all that I do. Not for, like I do. And the way that I do that is I need to look intently and not look you know, tokenistically or occasionally. Or, and listen, we can do that. I, and I get into that. I, I just do a Bible reading plan. Like I like to have something. So I'm going through the Bible in a year. For the, and I, I like to have something. I like a bit of structure. Um, but it's super easy for me to kind of do my Bible reading to kind of tick off that I've done my Bible reading rather than am I looking intently into this perfect law which gives freedom Gosh, and I wish, you know, people who don't know Jesus and sort of see Christianity as a list of rules, like, listen, his boundaries, his framework, his standard is for your freedom, not for your restriction. And actually, you're so tied up without it. Jesus is where freedom is and his perfect law. But we need to look and look intently. And actually, looking intently is that I want to see and I want to be changed. So I look intently and I continue in it, right? I'm just going to keep going and I'm going to do it. Those three aspects of our commitment to the Bible is that I look intently, I continue at it, and I do it. It actually makes a difference. 
And listen, I, I want us to be those people. Like, I want that to be my journey with the Bible. I want to be changed by it. I want to, I want to be secure. I want to be stable because I know what God says. Like, I want to be able to kind of manage temptation and disappointment and doubt and fear and failure. I want to be able to manage those. Like, I want to be aware of what other people think. I'm okay with people having different ideas and different opinions, but everything I need to come back to. But, but God said... This is what God says because this is who God is and I'm just not going to build my life anywhere else or on anyone else. So, do you stand? Should we pray for each other?